0: Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. It's 887 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Is available only at two
1: There's no Thrilled to be here. Good Sunday morning. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on ww 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz, here with you until noon on this Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to anyone celebrating. We've got Daytona 500 coming up today, but not to bury the lead here, we do have Game 2 of Loyola and Drake coming up today at 2 p.m. on ESPN2. It's great national exposure for the Missouri Valley Conference. It's going to be another great game Ramblers winners yesterday in big fashion, 81-54. to 54. Would you believe me if I told you they were down 34-31 to 31 at halftime? The Ramblers check in at number 10 in today's NCAA Evaluation Tool rankings, the net rankings. So they are a top 10 team according to the metrics, but according to the AP poll, they are still number 22 in the country. That's the first time they've been ranked in the AP poll in the regular season since 1985. And can anyone tell me what happened that year? I'll just tell you, they made the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. They got a great team this year. I put a piece out at my blog at offtheinbound.com comparing this year's team to the 2018 Final Four team, and there are a lot of similarities between these two teams, not to mention the fact that Cameron Crutwig and Lucas Williamson are still there from that rotation that made it down to San Antonio to the Final Four. And also, Ahir Ugwak sat out that year. He was sitting out after transferring from New Mexico, and he's finally putting it together this year. He put put up 20 points yesterday on the Drake Bulldogs. He's looking really good. I'm glad to see it here take a leap forward. As I mentioned, game two coming up this afternoon. I love afternoon basketball on a Sunday, 2 p.m. on ESPN2. It's going to be another great game. I'm not sure what this means going forward for the Missouri Valley in terms of being a two-bid league. There are a lot of questions. I'm more skeptical than others. And you'll hear that coming up in a couple minutes, that I'm very skeptical about the Valley being a two-bid league just because I know I keep saying it over and over, but I remember when Illinois State got hosed in 2017. Granted, this Loyola team is better than that Illinois State team, but I just can't get it out of my head just because it's the selection committee. You don't know what they're going to do. And especially this year with COVID, not sure what's going to happen on Selection Sunday if the Valley can still be a two-bid league. I think a sweep today by Loyola would really hurt those chances because Drake would now have lost three games. Reminder that last week at this time, they were, they were undefeated. So now they have lost three games, and I'm not sure what this means going forward for a two-bid league, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We do have basketball to play today. I'll also talk about the situation at Bradley. Yesterday, the Braves were down three of their four top scorers and a couple starters for yesterday's game against Missouri State. We'll talk about that situation because that's just very interesting down in Peoria. Also in professional sports news, because there was a little bit to get to, it's kind of a slower news week, but still Jake Arrieta's return to the Cubs kind of gave us something else to talk about. He is coming back to the north side, which is great to see, in an off season where... Cubs fans have said goodbye to some key pieces, Kyle Schwarber, John Lester in particular. Jake Arrieta is coming back to Wrigley Field. And I'll ask the question, are the Blackhawks good? I've been really tough on the Blackhawks this year. And I think they're better than I'm giving them credit for. If we have some time at the end, we'll talk more about the quarterback carousel in the NFL and where the Bears stand with that. But as we get to 11.05 here, as I tweeted yesterday, I did a post-game show on my Twitter, which I'm trying to do more of. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should, at Nick Schultz underscore seven. That's how we'll interact during the show today, because I can't take calls. I love doing the post-game shows, and yesterday was the first time I had a guest on with me. Kevin Sweeney is one of my close friends. We met during that Final Four year in 2018, which we talked about at the start of the show. And he's just a great college basketball guy. He's also an intern at Sports Illustrated, doing great work. He and I had a great conversation about the Loyola-Drake game yesterday, and I want to play that for you because there's some really good insight here from Kevin. So without further ado, here is yesterday's Loyola-Drake postgame show featuring Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central and Sports Illustrated. Welcome into a very special edition of a Loyola postgame live. I'm Nick Schultz. Great to be with you, especially after that big win over Drake by the Loyola Ramblers. Excited to welcome in my pal Kevin Sweeney. You can follow him on Twitter at cbb underscore central. He's also doing great work for Sports Illustrated, writing about the Loyola Ramblers again. And he and I go back. We first met during that Final Four year, and uh, what quite the evolution from the from the Ramblers here, Kevin. What do you think?
0: It, it's unbelievable. I, I tweeted about it the other day, but you know, we the first game, first time we met, we were at well, I think it was Loyola Samford, and probably like November twentieth of twenty seventeen. There was like eight hundred people at, at Gentile Arena. It was just us in the media room. You know, Porter was like begging for any attention the program could get. And you're like, okay, this this team's got something. They could be pretty good. And I mean, I, I thought I thought they had made it when it was like mid February against Missouri State, and there's like local Chicago media there. You're like, wow, look, we got some TV cameras. Look at look at the Ramblers. Who would have thought? I mean, ho- ho- holy cow, what what a program growth this has been, and. You know, it's fun to fun to reminisce and, and fun to look ahead because this is a very, very legit uh loyal team and they proved it today.
1: You know, I feel like we both kind of written about it lately. I feel like everybody dropped this story on the yeah. same day, including you and me, about how this year's team compares to the Final Four team. And I think we're in agreement. On paper, it looks like they're better than the twenty eighteen team. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It was, it was funny. I mean, I think everybody, once once they jumped to like top 15 in all the metrics, I think everyone like told their editors at like the big publications, like, hey, can we write one before the Drake series? And everyone got told yes. And so I was glad I could get mine out earlier rather than later. I think I beat Brian Hamilton by, by like two days. So we'll take what we can get. But yeah, you're right. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to compare it. You know, Porter seemed tired of it when I asked him about it. But it was funny. I mean, I asked, you know, I, I wasn't planning on asking the players directly, like, who do you think was better? I didn't ask Porter this either. But Custer brought it up when we were chatting. Like, oh, yeah, we were in the staff meeting and we were joking about it. She so was like, all right, I got to ask, who do you like? And, and when he said, OK, this team's got more upside, I was like, holy cow. Like, would these guys actually believe it. Williamson was even more, you know, convinced that this was the team is better. And it's hard to argue when you watch them and like they don't have the statement win. In the regular season like that florida win was a couple years ago but man just they're deeper they're better on defense they're forcing more turnovers they're better on the glass i think they're as good if not better shooting the ball like it's hard to argue it at this point and that is such a statement about how how far this program has come
1: absolutely send us those comments too we'll be getting comments on here from periscope again final score today Number 22, Loyola Chicago, which has a great ring to it. 81, Drake 54. We'll get to a comment in a second. I do want to get your thoughts on Ahir Ugwak because when he came in his first year after sitting out because he sat out the year they made the Final Four, I expected what we have now. And the fact that we're finally getting it is very reassuring, especially for this team. What can you say about Ahir's growth over the last three years?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned I tweeted something similar like, he, he was a train wreck on offense his, his first year at Loyola. And, and he was a train wreck at New Mexico offensively. And, like, I think, they, I think the coaching staff knew they were getting a project. But, you know, it's a credit to him that he's been willing to buy in and grow and buy into a role that was not, you know, offensive-centric for, for two years. It was like, I'm going gr- to grind. I'm going to defend your best player. I'm going to rebound. And if I, you know, if I do something on offense, it's a plus. And you know, this season he's just been so much more consistent on that end of the floor. I think the other thing that's been big is, you know, he's taking care of the ball a little bit better. You know, I think that was something that had been an issue, particularly the last two years where, you know, he, he was actively causing you problems on the offensive end. You can kind of hide someone who's not doing anything good for you, but there was times where he was in that negative. And, you know, for for him to, you know, now be making jump shots and just having so much better feel for the game, I think is the biggest thing. You know, he just looks comfortable. He knows where he needs to be. It helps to have a, a guy like Krotwig passing him the ball because, you know, I think him and Tate Hall in particular really benefit from the cutting and, and the ability to, to get downhill. And it's not, it's not like Uguac reinventing the wheel with what he's doing offensively, but you know, he just gives him another option. And you know, this, this, this team has so many different guys who can hurt you. And, you know, when, when Uguac can randomly come out and give you, I don't know, what was it? 18, 20 points today, you have 20 points. They leave to lead the team. Like you, you can't beat them. If, if a hero walks going to be, gonna going to be the guy who beats you. so, it's an impressive story and, and and a great great work of player development by loyal staff.
1: Yeah, I here Uggwak today, twenty points to lead the way. That was a game high. We do also have to talk about Cameron Kretwig, ten points, ten boards. I'm just gonna ask you, player of the year.
0: Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, he's the best player on what is clearly at this point now the best team. I love Roman Penn. I think he's awesome. You know, I. I, I fell in love with that kid before he even played a college basketball game because I was a Siena guy, and you know, he came in and lived up to our expectations. Sienna so, yeah, spent a year there. Unfortunately, it didn't work out with the coaching change. and you know, he's, His growth has been fun, but, like, Crutwig's Crutwig. He's the best player in the league. He's the best player on the best team in the league. It's got to be him.
1: I just want to go on the record and say the headline I wrote in 2019 when I said Cameron Crutwig will win player of the year – I never put the year, so I'm just going to say I predicted that two years ago. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's get to some comments here. Rank W, woohoo from Blurred Vision. What a victory! Roll blurs from my guy Reese Johnson, the weatherman. Oh my, that was a satisfying win from the Bishop himself, Jonah Blatt. Here's one from Tony Saghetti, I want to talk about. Lucas Williamson won Defensive Player of the Year today. I've been saying that all year, and I think we saw it today. Did we see him secure the Defensive Player of the Year trophy today, Kevin? <laughs>
0: I'll be honest. I'm not quite as familiar with the contenders. Like, I mean, I know he's a great defender. Like I just don't, I, I just don't have the the knowledge to say like who is the defense player in the Valley. I think Brody has a really good case for it too, with the way he walls up centers. And I think he slowed down corruptly whenever he was in the game, but man, like Lucas's ability on the defensive end is special. And again, I think it speaks to, and you could try to tie everyone, everyone wants to tie everything back to Loyola culture, but like, This guy's a senior who's averaging eight points a game or whatever he's averaging. I think it's eight points a game and he does not care. Like he is fully in on defending, you know, being elite defender on the perimeter and to have two guys, him and who can lock you down and just take you out of ball game. It absolutely changes the trajectory of, of how a team runs offense and Drake was so lost in the second half on offense because of Lucas Williamson in particular and his ability on the perimeter to, to wall you up. So he, he was awesome and it deserves all the love. I, I can't, I can't, I can't hundred percent dive into it because I, I, I have to think harder, but he is a heck of a defender. It'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to find someone who's better on the defense than Lucas.
1: Well, and we are, we are honored to get a comment here from Porter's jacket saying a top contender for defensive player of the year, maybe here hero. Not many lockdown guards currently. Yeah. Loyola has not one, but two serious contenders for Defensive Player of the Year. And I wrote about this in my post for my blog at Off the Inbound. The defensive foundation was set by Brian Mullins, who's now at Southern Illinois. I was worried about the defense when Brian left to take that job. they gotten better, and now you have two really strong DPOY candidates. It's crazy to me.
0: It's, it, is, it is crazy, and I think – you know, I, I think first off, it, it, it speaks to like the connection on the staff uh, and, and their ability to learn from each other. I think I was talking to Jermaine Kimbrough on a show like this a couple weeks ago, and he said, like, I've gotten a Ph.D. in basketball in, in the two years I've been here, and I've been coaching for 20 years. And I think that is something that that, that this staff is—they've grown off of each other. You know, Mullins is an incredible defensive mind. I think everyone inside the program has learned a lot about defense from him. Uh, and i'm sure he's sitting back now at siu not, not not looking forward to having a game plan against this defense because of how good he left that left them in this place and now they're you know continuing to improve i think you know the, the big thing that has really changed for me is turnovers like their ability to to turn you over and disrupt you beyond just like being in the gaps and making it hard for you to to get anything comfortable i think that just makes it even more difficult to beat beat them and, and drake did a good job particularly in the first half of taking care of the basketball, I think it got away from them a little bit uh, in in the second. Yeah, I mean they had they only had the eight turnovers. I think you probably live with that, but you know it's just a disruptive, disruptive style of defense. And you hear you, you hear a lot about a, a team that forces turnovers is oh, you got to press, you got to press, you got to do what Drake was doing in the first five minutes, like coming out, double team into the corners, traps, etc. Loyola well, doesn't need that to turn you over, and doesn't need that to disrupt you. And I think that is a hallmark of a really good you know. Gap discipline defense.
1: Keep sending us those comments on the Periscope. Again, if you're just joining us, final score, number 22, Loyola Chicago 81, Drake 54 in Des Moines. And we're joined today by Kevin Sweeney of CBB Central. You brought up Drake's turnovers. I want to throw this out there. This hasn't – I didn't really realize this until I looked at the stat page just now. Drake had eight turnovers all game. Loyola had eight turnovers in the first half. And they won this game – by 27 points. That is absolutely insane to me.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is wild. And I think, you know, part of it is that Drake, I think Drake did a really good job in the first half of making Loyola uncomfortable. Um, this was something, and I tweeted about this during the game. Like the press was brilliant by DeVries, and because it brought his own team energy, uh, and, 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 and that combined with the ball denials that they were doing off of the dribble handoffs with Crutwig I think they did a really good job of making Loyola just never really settle in offensively. And then in the second half, Loyola came out and was so much more prepared for it. And once they got comfortable, you were just not, not, knocking them off their spot. Loyola made five threes in this game. Like, like, they, 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 they turned it over in the first half and they only made five threes, and they still put up 80 points on this Drake team. And part of it was defense and offense. I think without a doubt, I know it wasn't, you know, turnover points, but I think they got a lot of easier looks once Drake was missing shots. And I think the other thing is that Drake wore down and couldn't keep Loyola um, in a position where, you know, they were uncomfortable on the offensive end. And they were able to get into their stuff. Crutwig was able to start, you know, picking you apart from the elbows and, and the foul line and the shooting started to help because of the gravity that it created. You know, again, only made five threes, but you know, everyone had to close the perimeter, and then you were able to attack closeouts and do things of that nature. So it was a really, really impressive offensive display. And and Loyola's Ken Palm offensive numbers will will definitely jump after this one, shooting sixty four percent from the field in the game. I got to see what they shot in the second half. They shot seventy percent from the field in the second half.
1: Is that good? I think, I think that's seven. pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, and I hate to keep making the comparisons to 2018, but it's so easy to see the comparisons here because Loyola in 2018 was also a second half team. I remember they used to do the same thing. They'd either be down in the first half or they'd be close in the first half. And then they would just put the foot to the floor in the second half and wipe you out. And that's what happened today. I brought up the eight turnovers in the first half. Loyola also had three assists in the first half in the second half three turnovers and 11 assists. They just turned it on in the second half. And that's just another parallel that they can just come back out of halftime. And I I think Porter Moser is the King of halftime adjustments. Don't you think
0: he does an unbelievable job. Um, And I think, you know, part of having a veteran team is having the ability to not panic in a game like that. Right. Like Loyola came in confident that they were going to win that game. And they got they they took the first punch for from from Drake. Drake came out energized. They were the more physical team in the first half, and they were making tough shots. And I think Porter was able to go in the locker room and 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 not have guys panic, not have guys trying to make you know a hero hero ball play to swing the swing the tide. know, instead, it was like, all right, we've been here, we know what we're doing. We've you know we've got all these you know veteran guys who've been in big games like this, games to win Missouri Valley championships, games in conference tournaments, and we're going to. You know, be cool, calm, collected. We're going to run our stuff. We know what we do. And we're going to throw the first punch out of halftime. That's exactly what they did.
1: And another note today, uh, Shaquan Hemphill is out for four weeks for Drake with a broken foot. That was huge today going in. That's Drake's leading scorer. So that meant Drake had to rely on Darnell Brody to guard Cameron Kretwig. He fouled out. He had three fouls in the first half. And I feel like we were talking about this a little bit before we went live. When he got that fourth foul, that was when I knew, okay, this, this is over. Like Loyola is going to just roll; – they're going to roll to a win here. And I think if Brody can stay out of foul trouble, like in tomorrow's game, in game two, maybe it will be a little bit closer.
0: Yeah. Hemphill is Drake's best scorer. Penn is Drake's best player. Brody might be their most important player with his ability. Again, I, I mentioned the defensive you know, ability. He, he's not a huge shot blocker, but he impacts the game – on the defensive end, because he's so strong. Like, you don't see big guys who have such strong bases as he does, and it makes it hard. There was a shot, I think it was in the first half, when Crutwig um, airballed the hook shot, like, missed it by far. And you never see that. And it was because Darnell Brody did not give an inch. Like, Crutwig was not able to lean on him and, and, and kind of push it over. You don't get anywhere on the guy. It's like running into a wall. Uh, and, and so I think yeah, that that in particular really, really hurt them in this game. He's also a great rebounder, and I think once he once he left the floor, Loyola was able to get some second chance opportunities for backbreakers as, as Drake's trying to hang in through this run. But yeah, he he's super valuable, and Samaka was not was not equipped to to handle him down low. There's there's really no answers. I mean, you could you could play smaller with Hempill normally, but can you now when you don't have have those guys? You can't you know. Could you play Tramel Murphy at the five? You'd think maybe, but then who who who's rounding out the other four spots? Like are you gonna play like Penn, Yastafu, Wilkins, and Jackson or Sturts, but that's really small. Like it, it you just run out of options a lot quicker. And so I think I think the Brody foul trouble was, was definitely a massive factor in this game. If they can keep him on the floor, well a better chance tomorrow. I'm still think Loyola definitely has a gear that Drake doesn't have, but down the road it's it's never easy. So
1: Well, and that brings up my next question then. Tank Hemphill is essentially out for the year. He might come back at Arch Madness. How much of a leap forward in terms of foul trouble does Darnell Brody have to take? Because it seems like when I watch games, he gets into foul trouble pretty easily. And I feel like if Drake wants to be still in the top two of the Valley, he's got to cut back on the fouls and be more disciplined.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, and and you look back in the first half, he got two fouls in the first eight minutes. I think first off, DeVries should have taken him out at the first media, tried to get get a couple of minutes from Samaka and, and and fight through and get, get more, more run from Brody. But his two fouls in the first half, darno Brody's were uh, an over the back on a rebound, 90 feet from your own bat from, your, from, from the basket you're defending on, and a I think an offensive foul or a bump, like 40 feet from the rim when they were press well, during the press. Like you it, it, you cannot have your post defender. Getting two fouls like that it disrupts your entire game plan. So yeah, he needs to be more disciplined. I think part of it is just you know he's a junior. He has not played a lot of college basketball. He played 13 games at Seton Hall. Uh, I think at a grand total of like 75 minutes in two years. I mean, he was not the not a factor, which is hard to believe given how good you know he has been for for Drake. But. Yeah, look, he, he's got to stay out of foul trouble. And I think I think Drake will be fine. Like, especially in the first half, I thought they looked really good. But that Road Bradley series started to look large because I know, you know, people are already talking, okay, can we figure out a way that we split, you know, they split these two and then Drake gets one win over Loyola and gets him that large, but it's gonna be hard if it looks anything like the second half for for them to split this series. And so you start to start to sit there and say, Okay, you know, can 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 they find a way to sweep Bradley? And if they can't sweep Bradley is the at-large hunt over. And uh, unfortunately it, it feels like it might trend that way pretty quickly for the Bulldogs.
1: One note here. I do want to respond to a comment from my guy, Reese. Is there any official word on fans at Arch Madness? I may have missed it. If it has been said they're planning on fans at Arch Madness, they're selling tickets. And I wish I could get my hands on one. I do. I'm getting my second COVID vaccine that Friday of Arch Madness. So I'm not going to St. Louis. So I'm going to be, it's covering from home, probably with a lot of these. But there will I believe there will be fans, is what I read from the Valley. But speaking of the two-bid Valley, let's bring up this comment, now that I know I can do this, from Jonah Blatt on Twitter. I feel like Loyola might have punched their tourney ticket today. Here's the question, and I've been very skeptical on this every time it comes up. Two-bid Valley? I think no. But what do you think? Yeah,
0: I, I think it's trending in a poor direction for Drake, just because of... I mean, I think Loyola's in at this point. I'm, I'm pretty confident that even if they lost in the conference tournament, they would get in. Like, It's just going to be so hard for the committee to justify. Because at this point, again, unless Loyola loses a game to SIU next week or two weeks from now, whenever it is, it's going to be really hard to knock this team out of the top 25 in the net. And if Loyola stays in the top 25 of the net and you don't put them in the NCAA tournament, I think that should be like a national scandal. Like it, it just it shouldn't be allowed, right? And so, yeah, it's not a normal year. They haven't had the the normal, you know, big wins you want in the non conference. But I think Loyola is really close to having punched the ticket. I just think at this point, it's trending a really poor direction for Drake to get one. Again, arch madness has been so unpredictable, and you know this better than anyone, Nick. Like, you know, last you know last year, Northern Iowa loses to Drake in the first round. Loyola loses to Valpo, and you know. None of those felt possible. I mean, it felt a lot more possible than it does this year. I think the separation is definitely greater this year than it's been in previous years. But you you never know what could happen in a one-game situation. But I I would be pretty surprised if anyone other than Loyal is in at-large territory by the time we get to Selection Sunday. The question is, is, can someone pick off the Ramblers and steal a second bid for the Valley?
1: You know, I brought this up on one of these with my friend Harry Schrader at the Valley Hoops Insider. We talked about this the other day. My prediction for a two-bid league is one of these teams has to sweep this weekend. So basically, right now, Loyola has to win tomorrow, win out in the regular season, make the championship game at Arch Madness, and lose to Drake in the championship game of Arch Madness for it to, to, to be a two-bid league. Do you agree?
0: I think Loyola has a little bit more flexibility, especially if they win tomorrow. Um, if Loyola wins this game tomorrow, I think they're going to be in really good position to the point where they could probably lose to anyone in the valley one more time. They could probably lose one more game and not be sweating too much. I mean, obviously you're gonna sweat because you know it's a mid-major in the committee's eyes. It, you never know. But I I I don't think I mean and look, they just updated Ken Palm. Will is up to 11 in Ken Palm. I they'll probably be in the net. I mean, tomorrow they're they're still only favored by six tomorrow against Drake if they win by 20 again, it just seems at least feasible. They're gonna be a top 10 10 Pom team. Where like were they
1: in Ken Palm the to start today?
0: 15 at the in the morning, uh, 13th in net, so up to 11 in Ken Palm, I guess, is top 10 net. All right. The metrics love this team. <laughs> yes, and the net loved Drake a lot more than it liked, than Ken Palm did. The net still had Drake at like 30, yes. and it had Drake at like 57 in Ken
1: Palm, I think. See, this is where we get into the fun of it. Like, what does the net say? What does Ken Palm say? They're drastically different. Like, one has Drake way up here. The other has him down here. But they both seem to have Loyola really high up there, which I think is a good sign, hopefully going forward toward Selection Sunday, because I've tweeted this. I've said this. I can't help but think back to a certain Sunday in 2017 when I thought my parents' alma mater, Illinois State, was going to go to March Madness and instead they were a number one seed at the NIT. I can't get that out of my head when it comes time to talk about a two-bid Valley, especially without Wichita State and without Creighton. I'm super skeptical about it.
0: I get it. But I also think when you look at the metrics, this Loyola team compares a lot more to the Northern Iowa team with Seth Tuttle that got a five seed than it does to the uh, Northern I- the, the, the uh, uh, Illinois State team that, that got bounced and was right on the bubble. Like, at some point, like if we care at all, if, if, if the committee actually cares at all about the metrics, right? Like the net, the, they made the net to mirror Ken Palm. The net's completely designed to look as much like Ken Palm as possible in terms of the rankings. It, it was meant to zag from the RPI and and look completely, you know, in, in my opinion, personally, they should have just said, we're going to use Ken Palm because it's good. Like, why are we messing around? But because it's you know, the SAA. It, right? They had to make their own thing. <laughs> they had to pay Google to make it. They paid Google to make the net, and it looks like Ken So if if you're going to have pretty much you know perfect confluence, there are you know, whatever the word is. I'm you not know, an English major. Yeah, you know, <laughs> of, of all these metrics that say, "Well, top 25 team. Loyola's the top 25 team," and you don't put them in because they lose one game at Arch Madness. I mean, come on, like like at that at that point, we start you really start to wonder. So. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting. I've had Loyola in like an eight seed or so in my recent bracketologies. I think after today and potentially tomorrow, they'll jump up even more to a you know, six or seven line. Yeah, up to a five potentially. Yeah, it's a little, that's pretty yeah. hard. I wish they had a non-con win that mattered, but.
1: Like yeah. that Richmond win would have been really, really nice to have. Was, yes, you know, coming certainly. up with a big win at Wisconsin would have been really, really nice. But that, that's for my guy, Reese Johnson, the weatherman. And yeah, I know Mike Watson commented it too. Is this team better than the final four team? I think we're in consensus. So now it's just a matter of, can they get back to the big dance? Can they replicate that magic? We'll see. I Hopefully Sister Jean can come out with them. Cause I know she's been in like, I believe the exact phrasing I heard was double, triple lockdown for Sister yeah. Jean. She, last I heard she was living in her apartment full time. And that was back in April. I can't imagine now, but prediction for game two between Loyola and Drake. What do you got?
0: I mean, it's wacky results. I know the, the example I always like to throw around, uh, Wright State has played three different series this year where they lost one game and won the other by 30-plus points. So, again, it can happen, but Loyola outclassed Drake in the second half, and I would be pretty uncomfortable for picking against them here. Will they win by 20 again? No, because I think Drake is too prideful. I think they'll come out fighting, and they'll probably hit some threes. You know. They they just they they never had a run stopper uh, in this second half when Loyola was punching and punching, you know there there was never a big pen three a big there was a play even I think it might have been a fourteen or fifteen point game might have been up to twenty even at this point where Yesufu got in the passing lane and knocked it out and Crockwick nearly got called for a backcourt and the game was probably close to close to sealed by at that at that point but that's the type of play you needed and and Yesufu could have that steal run it down get a layup okay maybe you know you get one more bucket, they call a timeout, you're, you're, you're feeling yourself a little bit. They never had that, and and I think they will come out energized and ready to go tomorrow, and look, I mean, Loyola got, Loyola heard all the press clippings all week about how good they were, and they came out, and they proved it today. Do you come with the same focus on you know tomorrow? And I, I think they will, because they're a really well-coached group, but it's impossible not to have that happen at times, right? It's impossible not to hear how great you are all the time, and they're going to hear a lot of love today and tomorrow. And you know, they, How do you wake up for a midweek game against Valpo after that? I'll, t- I'll say that. you know It's going to be tough.
1: Well, and that's where I think Porter has them so disciplined where like don't listen to that stuff. They tune out the noise, blah, blah, blah. We heard all of that. Trust me, that was the buzzword every day in 2018 was tune out the noise, block out the noise. We got a game to play. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I know it's better. It's easier said than done but I think that's what's going to happen at least tomorrow. We'll see what happens on Wednesday. Shout out to Jonah Blatt for the animal house reference sister Jean and double secret probation. I'm really glad somebody picked up on that. She is on double, triple lockdown, not double secret probation. We have been talking with Kevin Sweeney of CBB central. Follow him on Twitter at CBB underscore central. Kevin, this was a blast man. We've got to do this more often. This is great.
0: Hey, well, whatever you want me, Nick, always happy to chat. I miss our, you know, Media room chats with a sprite in hand, ready to walk out to the uh, the arena. So, man, it's been fun, and you know this is a it's a fun Rambler team to, to watch. I'm glad that I was you know part of the Final Four team in any tiny tiny way, and you know get to be a part of following this team from a bit of a bit, a bit of a distance here this year. But it's been it's been it's been a thrill. So whenever you want me, I'm back, and we'll uh, chat about the Ramblers and the valley.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the valley. Anything can happen. Thanks again, Kevin. We'll talk soon. That was Kevin Sweeney yesterday on my Loyola post game live on my Twitter. That was always was a lot of fun yesterday with Kevin. I can talk basketball with that guy all day, and I think I have. Although I had a Coke in my hand in the media room. I don't really drink Sprite that much unless I'm getting like a Kitty Cocktail or a Shirley Temple, whatever you want to call it. But either way, that's just a little, little – distinction there but either way no I, I miss talking to Kevin all the time and that was fun meeting him the first time during that final four year and here we are now we've hit the bottom of the hour so I need to remind you that you're listening to the Sunday sports shootout here on WW eighty 887 FM broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University I'm coming to you from my garage in a very cold and snowy Dwight Illinois I don't even know if it's above zero outside oh it's one degree here so everybody please stay warm and stay safe I do I did get a message here from the bishop himself, Jonah Blatt, during the interview. He said, here, finally putting it together makes me so happy. I've been carrying the banner for him for a minute now, and I'm so happy to see him finally find that shooting stroke, sixth year, question mark. That's a conversation that we're going to hear a lot of here down the stretch because as we sit here now, it's crazy to think about, but as we sit here, after today, there are seven days of Valley basketball left Loyola will have three games remaining on the schedule it is crazy to think about this season has flown even with COVID and everything going on this season has flown by and again three games left for Loyola and that's a conversation who's going to come back for a sixth year it's going to be a tough conversation to have because on one side it's Another year of eligibility. I mean, if you missed the news, this was about a month or so ago, maybe two months ago now, the NCAA granted a blanket waiver to winter sport athletes. That includes basketball because it is a COVID year. So anybody who wants it can play another year. And that brought the question immediately. Loyola has all these seniors on the roster. Krutwig, Williamson, Oogwak, Keith Clemens, Tate Hall, they have all of these seniors. That's their core group is these seniors. Do they come back for another year? Do they all come back? Do some of them come back? Do they go for opportunities in Europe? Do they try the NBA draft? I have no insight on any of that. I do know that my friend Jeff Dickerson, who I had on the show to talk Bears, also does color commentary for Loyola Basketball. He brought up a good point. He thinks everybody should take another year, not from an athletics standpoint, but from an academic standpoint. These players have another year. They can go to grad school. They can get a master's degree. I know Clayton Custer did that. I know Marcus Towns did that. I know Milton Doyle stuck around in school. These guys have a chance to get a master's degree while also playing basketball and maybe making a. Maybe having a chance at making a run at the pros. I have not heard if these conversations have happened at all. I would expect that to happen soon. Because again, today is February 14th. Arch Madness, Friday of Arch Madness, is about two and a half weeks away. March 5th is Arch Madness Friday. That's coming up really quick. Seven days of games left, three games left for Loyola. That is going to be a conversation we're going to hear a lot about. I have a feeling it'll be a hot topic in St. Louis, even if, I just keep saying if, just because I'm very superstitious, if Loyola makes the NCAA tournament, I'm not sure if we'll hear about it until the tournament is over or until they're done in the tournament, because we also have to remember, this is a strong recruiting class coming in as well. It could be complicated a little bit with the Ivy League's ruling that these players will get another year. Loyola would have two Ivy League graduate transfers coming in on top of, I think it, is it Ben Schweiger? Have we found out how to pronounce his last name yet? Someone please clarify that for me. I've been meaning to look for weeks, months, how to pronounce his last name. He's Chicago guy, also Ty Johnson is coming in as well. I am really high on both of those guys. So you've got them coming in as freshmen next year. If you can bring all the seniors back, look at how dangerous this Loyola team is this year. Imagine how they'd be with another year. Now, we also have to plan for transfers because there's transfers every year. I want to say the NCAA reports there are two to three transfers Every year per team, that's just the nature of college basketball. It's going to happen. Again, before anyone asks, I have no insight as to who would transfer from this Loyola roster. I'm not even going to speculate on that. But there are a lot of roster questions here, and we could see a very similarly built Ramblers team next year. So that is a great point to bring up, and Jonah chimes back in. If all seniors come back, Loyola would be a top 15 team nationally. I think I'd have to agree with you as much as I think everybody's biased against mid-majors. You've heard me on that soapbox now for four years, going on five years, beating that drum. I'd agree with you. I think Loyola would be even better than they are this year, and that's saying something because they're currently number 10 in the net and Ken Palm right now. I really, I kept saying all along, I, even the last couple weeks I've been saying, oh, we've got a while yet to, have the, to talk about that. We've got a while yet to find out about next year. We don't have a while anymore. I think you're going to have some clarity within the next month. Maybe a month and a half, depending on how the NCAA tournament goes. But let's preview game two. We're getting too far ahead of ourselves here. Let's look at the current. Two o'clock today, ESPN 2.0. Loyola-Drake game two, as I said, Loyola, number 10 in the net, and Ken Palm. Here are some stats that stuck out to me today. Loyola's defense is allowing 56.1 points per game. That is the top-ranked defense in the nation. And offensively, the Ramblers are shooting 52.6% from the floor. That is third in the country. And they're still ranked number 22 in the AAP poll. I'm just throwing that out there. Betting lines today, if you're into that, obviously in Illinois you cannot bet on Illinois college teams, but it's still fun to look at to see what Vegas is thinking will happen today. Depending on where you look, Loyola is a 5.5 point favorite with an over-under of 132.5. Again, that, I've seen 4, I've seen 5.5. It seems like the consensus is 5.5, that's according to the Action Network. My prediction is Loyola 68-60. to I think Drake's going to come out a little stronger today. And the back-to-back games. I've talked about this all season. You've seen the back-to-back games. Sometimes teams will come out a little sluggish because they played a lot of minutes yesterday. And let me, let me pull up the box score from yesterday's Loyola-Drake game because I want to see the minutes totals from yesterday. Because that is huge in determining how game two is going to go in these back-to-backs. Porter Moser isn't pretty good about playing his starters a few less minutes to get him ready for game two. Here's how it went yesterday. Ahir Uwak, Cameron Krutwig, and Braden Norris all played 30 minutes. Lucas Williamson played 25 minutes. Keith Clemens played 22. That's your starting five. Tate Hall, 22 minutes off the bench. Marquise Kennedy... 19 minutes off the bench. Those are all the people who played at least 10 minutes because the next closest, Tom Welch, played nine, which I love what I'm seeing from Tom Welch this year. And he had another another three yesterday. Baylor Hebb had six bench minutes as well. I expect those minutes to go down a little bit today depending on how the game goes. Maybe you'll see more Tom Welch if Darnell Brody gets into foul trouble again because Drake's going to have to go small. I got this question yesterday: Why Krutwig was out of the game? It's all matchups. If Drake goes small because Darnell Brody has two or three fouls, you can't have Cameron Krutwig out on the floor because Drake's gonna—they're gonna push the pace. They're gonna—they're gonna be going fast. I love Krut. Don't get me wrong, but if, you need to go small to keep up with that speed, and that's why you'd see like a Tom Welch come in at the five, a stretch five, essentially. You could see Ahir Ugwak drop down to the 5 and let Tom move to a stretch 4. You can have Tate Hall come in at 6'6 off the bench into a small ball lineup. The depth with this Loyola team is their biggest strength. Their leading scorer yesterday was Ahir Ugwak with 20 points from the starting lineup. Next closest scorer was Braden Norris with 11, Cameron Crowe with 10. They had 3 guys in double digits yesterday, and they still scored 81 points. I expect that depth to be on display once again today. Because in game two, you have to have your depth. You have to rely on your depth after game one because they get tired. It just, that's how it works. So this is going to be a big one today, and I'm very curious to see how Drake comes out too, considering only Garrett Sturts played more than 30 minutes yesterday. And he played 34. Jamel Murphy, DJ Wilkins, Roman Penn all played 27 minutes, and Yasufu played 28 minutes. So Drake's players played a few less minutes yesterday. Granted, they only scored 54 points, but that's going to be big today, and that's why I say it's going to be closer. I think it's going to be Loyola 68-60. to That's my prediction for game two today in Des Moines. Going around the valley, I've got to talk about this. So yesterday at 4.30 in the afternoon, let's set the scene here. Bradley was supposed to play Missouri State at 5 o'clock yesterday. They they did play. I said was. They did did play the game. I have to throw that distinction out there with the COVID world we live in. They did get the game in. The game tipped off at 5 at 4.30, 4.30 p.m., 30 minutes before tip-off. This drops on Twitter, and I quote, Elijah Childs, just Sean Henry, Donya Kingsby, and Terry Nolan Jr. of the Bradley basketball program have been suspended for this weekend's series against Missouri State due to violations of program standards. Now, studying journalism the last four years, and as a big fan of the West Wing, I can tell you that is what is called throwing it out with the trash, and a call it's also called a news dump. 30 minutes before game time, you announce that your start that you've got some big players that have been suspended for this game, and it sounds like it could extend even longer. These suspensions could. I look at the Peoria Journal star from Dave Aminion, who took over for Dave Reynolds on the beat this year. I want to show you just how big these suspensions are. Childs, Kingsby, and Nolan Jr. are starters. Childs leads the Braves and is 6th in the Missouri Valley Conference with 14.2 points per game. Nolan Jr. is 2nd at 11.2 points per game. Henry is 3rd on the team with 10.7 points per game. Nolan Jr. is also ninth in the Valley in assists per game with 3.3, and Childs is 2nd in the league in rebounding, at 8.3 points per game. After the game, Brian Wardle gave no details as to the nature of the violations. All he said was, and I quote, it was a violation of program standards. We're going to hopefully respond the right way and move forward after this weekend. I don't want to speculate publicly about what could have happened here. And another quote from Brian Wardle here, after the game, There's program standards, and when you violate those, it's pretty easy for me to make those decisions. Wardle indicated, this is from David Minion, Childs, Nolan Jr., Kingsby, and Henry suspensions could go beyond Sunday. So that is a situation to monitor down in Peoria with the Bradley Braves, because those are some big names that have been suspended by the team for violating team rules. Again, I don't want to speculate publicly about what that could have been, because that's just, that's not what I do here. I'm here to present you the facts. And the facts right now is we have no details as to why, but some big names have been suspended by Bradley. And keep in mind, Bradley has played 14 Valley games. They will play number 15 today. They have three games left in their schedule. And if the season ended right now, they would be playing on Thursday at Arch Madness. They would be the 7th c because they they are 7th in the Valley standings. Very pivotal week coming up here for Bradley and a situation to definitely keep an eye on in the Missouri Valley Conference. Let's look at the standings. Loyola in first place on an 11-game win streak. Number 22 team in the country, 13-1. Drake is in second at 10-2. They are two games back. Missouri State is in third at 9-5. Indiana State is in 4th at 8 and 6. Evansville is in 5th, just as we all expected. Evansville is in 5th at 6 and 6. Valpo is in 6th at 5 and 7. Those are your teams that would be playing on Friday at Arch Madness. Arch Madness Thursday would be 7, Bradley 5 and 9. 8th, preseason favorite Northern Iowa 4 and 10. ninth Southern Illinois, who has been without Marcus Domask and looked bad yesterday. Against Illinois State, three and nine, and last place Illinois State, three and eleven. Illinois State absolutely rolling past Southern Illinois. We'll look at the final score of that one. That was yesterday's games went as we all absolutely one hundred percent expected. Illinois State beats Southern Illinois eighty to fifty. Just after I praised the defensive identity that Brian Mullins brought to Loyola, his Southern Illinois team loses by thirty. Missouri State ended up beating that shorthanded Bradley team 80-58. Now we are in a sprint to the finish line, my friends. Three Loyola games left after today. If they win today, that would be a three-game lead in the standings with three games left. That means they would lock up at least a tie. If I'm reading this right in the standings because it's tough because Drake will have played only 13 games compared to Loyola's 15 games. It is very tough to determine who will win the league and when because it's down to just Loyola and Drake. It is just those two who can win the league. Upcoming schedule for both teams. Drake plays Northern Iowa on Wednesday at Northern Iowa. And then next weekend, Sunday, February 21st, Drake plays Evansville. That'll go into Monday too. That's Sunday, Monday of next week. Drake will close out the season at Bradley. Loyola's upcoming schedule. After playing Drake today, they will play Valparaiso on Wednesday The Ramblers' next game would not be until Friday, February 26th against Southern Illinois. That would be quite the layoff there for Porter Moser's team. But that's just the way the schedule shook out. In this COVID world, it's a weird schedule. That's what we've got coming up. And, again, I don't know when any team will lock up that number one seed at Arch Madness, but it could be soon because we're close. We are close to the finish line, my friends. Big one today. As I keep saying, 2 p.m. today on ESPN2, Loyola Drake, number 22, Loyola. will take on Drake in game two of this series. I'm calling it the series of the year. I'm probably going to end up doing a quick postgame show afterward on my Twitter because I do have to work tonight. I have to 10 bar starting at 6. So it might be a quick post game depending on time, but I'm hoping to be able to talk about this and talk about what it means going forward couple other bullets to get to as we have 9 minutes left in this show. I spent 50 minutes talking Missouri Valley basketball. We do have other stuff to talk about. Jake Arietta is coming back to the Cubs. Didn't think I'd be saying that, but here we are. 1 year, 6 to 7 million dollar deal for Jake. It's going to be great to see a fan favorite back at Wrigley. Hopefully we can have fans at the games. I was talking to my friends last night about how once fans can go back, we're going we'll pay whatever amount of money it is to go to a ball game and get some beers and just take in a baseball game in person. I know one of my buddies and I were going to go to a bunch of White Sox games this year. We were going to get just like a 10 or 12 pack of tickets and just go to all these games before COVID hit. But to have Jake back would be good if we can get fans back in the stands. Here were his stats in Philadelphia, though, with the Phillies. He signed that big contract. Three years in Philly, 22-23 and record, a 436 ERA. Can he get back to his Cy Young form? I'm not sure because in I'm I'm using this as four full years with the Cubs because he was traded mid year. So I don't really I can't count that with baseball reference here, but in four years with the Cubs, four full years, he had a sixty-four and twenty-nine record, two sixty-seven ERA, in seven hundred and fifty one and a third innings pitched, and obviously he did win the Cy Young in twenty fifteen. So can he get back to that form? I don't know, because a lot has changed with the Cubs. Joe Madden is gone. David Ross is in, so he'll be playing for a former teammate. And Chris Bosio is also gone, the pitching coach. Now you've got Tommy Hotovy as the pitching coach. Maybe he can get Jake back on that right path. Cause he struggled in Philly. He had some injuries. He did have surgery to remove a bone spur in his elbow. But here's how the rotation could shake out. This is from my guy Tim Stebbins over at NBC Sports Chicago. Does great work covering the Cubs. The rotation could shake out like this. Kyle Hendricks at number one. Jake Arrieta. Zach Davies, who I'm still not really high on. Trevor Williams, who I think could be a sleeper. And Alec Mills, maybe Albert Alzali could jump in there as well. There's also some depth in there because they did sign Shelby Miller to a non-roster invitation to spring training. Tyson Miller could also see some time. This is from, from Tim. Other options include, as I said, Tyson Miller, Cole Stewart, Corey Abbott, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, and Gray Fentner. If you've heard of all of those guys, you are a diehard fan because even I have not heard of all of those guys. But I agree with his projection here of Hendricks, Arietta, Davies, Williams, and Mills. That is such a new look to the starting rotation. Not sure how I feel about it. You've heard my thoughts on the Cubs' offseason season. But it is good to see a familiar face back as well, because as I said at the top of the show, we said goodbye to a lot of players this year, the Cubs fans have, including John Lester and Kyle Schwarber in particular. Those are the two names that jump out. There's still trade rumors surrounding Chris Bryant, which do with that what you will, I guess. I'm just going to leave that out there. But either way, that rotation is okay. Okay. Pocota, by the way, I don't buy much into the Pocota projections. I mean, especially this year, (laughs) it lit up. It lit up my Twitter timeline. So if you're on baseball Twitter, you probably heard about the Pocota projections. What is Pocota? It basically will, it's basically a simulation or a bunch of simulations that predicts what could happen this year you know how I've been ripping the Cubs for not doing much in free agency or this offseason or making trades this offseason? Pocota projects the Chicago Cubs to win 85 games this year with a 29% chance of winning the division. The White Sox, who I argue had a great offseason and should be a World Series contender, Pocota projects the White Sox to win 83 games. So if you're following along, you can see that Pocota projects the Cubs to win more games than the White Sox. Do you see now why I don't really buy in to the Pacoda projection? Because that is absolutely idiotic to think that the Cubs will win more games than the White Sox. I'm just going to leave that out there quickly before I wrap up in the last five minutes. Are the Blackhawks good? They are down Jonathan Taves Kirby Doc, Andrew Shaw, and Alex Nylander, and they're still 7-5-4 with 18 points. They are fifth in the Central Division standings. Good? I'm not sure. Lucky? Maybe. Decent would be the word. I have been really tough on the Blackhawks this year. I keep saying I think they should tank for the number one pick. I still stand by that. But you have to respect what they've done because they're without their captain. They're without Kirby Doc, who is a who was a great in his rookie year last year. Andrew Shaw's in concussion protocol. He's on the injured reserve. He's having a decent year as well. And Alex Nylander, I feel like, is kind of an underrated piece. I feel like he's streaky, but he's also a, a essential to the offense. But how about Kevin Lankinen? I had never heard of this guy, and I know I'm not alone because he's a rookie this year. Didn't know much about him. You know his name now. 6-2-3 record, 92.5% save percentage, and 2.49 goals against average. He's locked down. He's locked up the starting goalie job, in my opinion. I don't know if I want to see Malcolm Subban back in there, or if I want to see Colin Delia back in there. I really like Kevin Lankinen. And there's a clip going, he had a bad game the other day, before I get to that. He had a bad game the other day. He was coming off his worst game, gave up six goals. It was just a bad defensive performance by the Hawks to come back last night and win that game in overtime. That was amazing for a rookie. There's a clip on a commercial from NBC Sports Chicago that Charlie Otis talking about how he doesn't know what Lankanen's weakness is yet. He loves what he's – I think Charlie is also in the crowd that is very surprised by Kevin Lankinen, I know I'm in that as well. And I'd have to agree. I don't really know. Like with, with Corey Crawford. Like I know people talk about Corey Crawford. And the Mount Rushmore of Blackhawks players. And arguably they call him the greatest goalie. Of all time for the Blackhawks. Which I, st- I think I disagree with. But either way. His weakness was. He didn't have a defense in front of him. Which isn't really his fault. But also he seemed to. I didn't like how he. Go around the back of the net. His decision-making wasn't great in clearing the puck. With Kevin Lankinen, there aren't really a lot of holes there. Maybe it's because he's unknown. But I, I like what I'm seeing from him. And how about Alex DePrinkett? Six goals in five games, two overtime winners, including the one last night where he hit it out of midair. He hit the game winner out of midair in overtime to get the Blackhawks 3-2 win over Columbus. I don't want to overreact and say, "Oh, they're good. They're going back to the Stanley Cup. They're going to hold the Stanley Cup again." No. There's a lot of season left. But I think I need to ease up on my criticism of the Blackhawks. I'm not going to ease up on criticizing Stan Bowman because that's different. But I'll give them a little more credit this year because I keep saying, I keep talking about how they're bad. I always make the joke, and my parents are probably annoyed with me making the joke. I've seen Matadors play better defense sometimes. But you got to give credit where credit's due, and the Hawks are earning it. Once again, as we wrap up the show, 2 p.m. today on ESPN2. Number 22, Loyola taking on Drake in Game 2 of this pivotal series. I will likely be on for a quick Post game wrap up on my Twitter page. So if you don't follow me, you should at Nick Schultz underscore seven. If you want some Loyola coverage today, it's going to be another big one in Des Moines. And it could just be one final step toward Loyola locking up another conference championship. And then Arch Madness would be coming up. And it would, I think, St. Louis this year could be insane. And we're coming off the craziest Arch Madness in history. Almost a year ago, which was, ironically enough, the last quote-unquote normal event most of us have covered or been to. I think we're in for another crazy tournament in St. Louis this year. That game coming up at 2. I'm out of time. Stay tuned for a post-game show on my Twitter, on my Periscope. I'm predicting Loyola for another big win with three games to go after today. We'll see what happens. Stay safe, stay healthy. Wear a mask, everybody. Stay warm. It is really cold out there. There's a lot of snow on the ground. So be careful on the roads and stay warm. I will talk to you next week and this afternoon here on WLUW. Have a great week, everybody.